You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from the fields of Trenzalore, where the doctor stands. Sarah. Yes. Now, we're a little bit better now. Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah. That was even with me kind of glancing down at my phone. Um, Not that I would ever do that. Vocal fam. <laughs> Sorry. Were we, did we miss you last week? No, we had an episode last we had week. No episode. We had a great episode last week. It was wow. the Nats episode. Wow. I mean, we didn't have an episode. Like, we wow. came in and accidentally talked about just life. Uh, we were going to record last week for this week already. Yeah. But then we didn't. So now we're recording. And then this week we were going to have a guest, but she's been pushed back two weeks. Yeah. And so... Through uh, unfortunate technical difficulties. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Oh, Here totally. we are. Sarah was just talking about... Uh, um, sometimes being frustrated with um giving a student a strategy yes in a song yes and then a student maybe not actually thinking that they could apply that strategy to other songs the the whole whole song song even just being like but we only worked the first verse well would you believe would you that every verse is gonna essentially have the same melody you and mean the same like strategies. in the same piece, if you sing a closed French O vowel on an E flat, that you'd probably need to close that same vowel across the what? whole piece? Wild, right? Particularly, it's always funny when that happens, like with the chorus, and I'm like, you realize this is the same every time, went right? Through, went, went through that with someone yesterday on uh, uh, the first song of the Ravel Greek songs. Uh, delightful. Uh, Réveillatoire. Yeah. Um, Love that song. Anyway... That actually is a good lead-in. Yeah, yeah. To what you to what of... I really have been wanting to talk about for for a minute. True. It was the plan last week until we got yeah. distracted. <laughs> okay, Vocal Fam. There's a nice article actually um, that I could point you to on this topic that Elizabeth Benson wrote, uh, who was on the podcast last year. Yeah. She wrote a nice article. Uh, this is a number of years ago, maybe five, six years ago on like the difference between like funk like of what like functional voice training is and if you want to read more about like functional voice training i think that there is a nice genealogy uh lineage um coming uh if if you go back particularly to um the mid-20th century like the works of cornelius reed and reed reed r-e-a-d read the works of reed (laughs) r-e-i-d amazing um there is a, a a kind of direct trace, and then um, I know that you know Reed definitely influenced Jeannie Lavetri and 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 then some others. Um, but and I think in, in, it's interesting in that regard. I think from a lineage history standpoint, I actually think that um, in terms of like we're going to talk about what functional voice training is here in a second. But I think there's an interesting history that. I think the idea of functional voice training in our industry mm-hmm. permeated more from musical theater and CM voice teachers mm-hmm. in the last 25 years. Yeah. Because uh, it kind of became more popular to think about voice that way in their community. And now we're hammering against a wall outside. Yeah. I was very surprised because I don't think there's anything wi- in the wild. Hall Someone is hanging a poster outside uh. and they're hammering into the wall. Apparently they decided to just take a hammer and a nail. Anyway, 
delightful. Um, but I, I, so I think that the idea within the like voice teaching community at large, I think that our CM colleagues were quicker to pick up on the ideas and concepts of functional voice training. Mm-hmm. Even though if you go back to Reed, Reed was taking the principles that he read in the Garcia treatises and retranslating them into contemporary English. Yeah, yeah. And, you, know, you know what I mean? And so yeah. like, it was actually like taking, you know, one of the things I present to my voice pedagogy class when I present like history of voice pedagogy to them at the beginning of the year, just so that I like, kind of when I do my fable of singer A business. Yes, yes, um, that's a good one. So uh, that, that's actually an episode that we did a year or two ago. You can go back and listen to it. But I, I kind of do it goofy with like made up people first. Which is always a good, yeah. And th- But now I actually also do trace um, a lot of important pedagogic figures. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I always put in context when I talk about that in class is like, okay, Garcia the first, mm-hmm. what years are these? Oh, the bel canto. Okay, what kind of vocal writing and demands yeah. were part of the singing that was required? Like, if we're talking about uh, Marchese, what at the end of the 19th century, what kind of singing was happening? Was happening? You know, if we're talking about Garcia II, the son, like, you know, we're we're toward Verdi, we're toward French grand opera. Sure. You know, some different demands. Correct. So- this, uh, folks. We can do the same thing with modern pedagogy. Oh, absolutely. A hundred years from now, if we're looking at Matt Edwards, so you want to sing rock and roll, it will be an artifact of the kind of singing that was, was required happening. that in that style at that time. Yeah. No, right? Absolutely. Like, I mean, and, and it's okay to look at books through, even a book that, like Matt's that's only 10 years old. Yes. It's, okay. it's still applicable to us, but recognizing even that, like, it will become that right or that it is specific to that like some of the stuff he does you're not going to use necessarily in other and i even present that history aspect to them like okay richard miller opera singer trained opera singers at oberlin Mm -hmm. wrote national schools of singing which was all based on classical Western styles in the mid 20th century. Yeah. Like that, that came out of 19th century lineages. Like, I, I think it's important when we consider all that, that we consider the context of, cause listen, there is great. I remember a year or so ago, someone was on the socials kind of ripping apart, um, uh, uh, McKinney's book. Oh, okay. And, if we're reading McKinney solely from a 2023 lens, sure, it's easy to poke holes That's, in a book like that. Yeah. For one thing, the science is outdated. For another thing, McKinney was a bass baritone opera yeah, singer, yeah. leader singer, whatever, classical Western singer and teacher who only taught in those styles. Yes. And so the perspectives are, of course more maybe more applicable to those things yes okay with that in mind let's come back to this idea of functional voice training Mm -hmm. i want to contrast functional voice training to what i'm calling now task specific voice training okay If we are actually training a voice functionally, 
you should be able to move in and out of styles way easier. Okay. So we have to then kind of define, like, what am I talking about on both of these perspectives? Yeah. Here is a functional voice training principle. You should be able to navigate your singing range through registration transitions mm-hmm. and whether we're talking about acoustic register via V Bozeman or mm-hmm. whether we're talking about actual glottal configuration changes of airflow patterns and, and muscular configurations of the glottis you should be able to navigate between those seamlessly as a singer okay yep that is one of the core tenet principles of functional voice training. Yeah. And so, like, the idea that <laughs> you should be able to... Yeah, You sure. should be able to navigate and glide through... Without just... Without just, ah, yeah, sure, sure. Now, if we were approaching what I just did with the cracks. Yes, amazing. We could, here's what I, here's how I would contrast perhaps approaching this with task specific training. Okay. If I was approaching what I just did with task specific training. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's say I want uh, my singer in front of me solely was interested in singing Western classical music. Okay. Okay? And listen, if your singers, let them sing what they want. If your singers want to sing nothing but classical music. Great. Okay. If they want to sing musical theater, teach them musical theater. Yeah. I'm not talking about repertoire here necessarily. Okay? But if this person just wanted to be a classical western singer one approach we could take to getting them to be able to not do what i did on the second one sure when i cracked would just to be to say no sing uh on f sharp <laughs> and drop your jaw uh! that, that and we do could it. do that you could but would that mm-hmm. specificity yeah. Help you sing We Are the Champions by Queen. <laughs> no. No. Would it actually help you be able to legitimately go, ah. Just sliding around? Not, not, no. Not really. Not unless you like explained, like, you, no. And so to this is answer. the crux of one of the reasons that I believe in functional training. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think. There is a misunderstanding, though, mm-hmm. I think, and I know Ian Howell has been kind of pushing this idea some on, on the socials a little bit, because I do think that, and that's why I wanted to reference Ian's, some of Ian's posts, but also some of Elizabeth's article. Yeah. Just to give people credit and, you know. It always good. Well, also other places to go and look. Like, if you're also like, yeah. I think that, um, I think that classical singing Mm -hmm. training 
classical okay. singing training training yeah has gotten a bad rap because i think that so much of the training that existed at least when i went through the academy mm-hmm. and still somewhat to this day mm-hmm. was task specific training rather sure. than functional voice training no i totally believe that let's let's look at it from uh, we can come back to the registration because okay so like let me give a since we're on since i since i use registration as an example sure. let me give a way that we would approach that functionally okay take that octave yes do that octave on a slide on an off off a full full falsetto ooh 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 take it down an octave ooh okay ooh ah ooh ah See, now I've used the dynamics of airflow in the larynx sure. to be able to understand how to navigate, how to transition. So all, all, all I did, folks, was just go up in falsetto and then increase my vocal fold thickness. I didn't think about increasing my vocal fold thickness, but no. because I've done a lot of these pitch glides, sure, I understand how to reconfigure that from an airflow perspective sure. and a vowel perspective as I, because I'm, I, I'm using two things to my advantage. One, airflow, yeah. and and we can talk about how to get there. Obviously, through SOVTs, different perspectives of, of what have you. But then I was also just using the acoustics of the fact that the vowel. As I say, you did vowel change. Correct. You've the, also, it, like you said, you've done a bunch of these. You know, just experientially, like this. This is how this feels. And so. that's and, and, oh, okay. I'm glad you said experientially. Oh, happy I could help. <laughs> okay. So let me actually, because I do want to give a respiration example. Sure. Okay. But since you said experientially. Yeah. I was teaching a client this week, new client, um, maybe our third session, something okay. some, yeah. some, something yeah. like that. Like um, found me through my YouTube channel. Cool. Uh, international student. Someone who had kind of come up through pop music. Oh, that's fun. Found Papara. Love that. Like, Josh huge, Groban. Huge fan of Papara. Found Andrea Bocelli. Amazing. Found Pavarotti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wants to kind of sound more like Corelli or Pavarotti or... Love that. Beerling, but but you see the traits. Yeah, the tra- I think a lot of us go down that pipeline. <laughs> sure, it's happened before. Josh Groban's something of a gateway drug. <laughs> wow. I don't even know how to respond to that. Yeah, but That's not wrong. But, okay. But anyway, one of the things that and this happens i'm sure with some of your students as Mm -hmm. well and i'm sure vocal fam you can relate to this with some of your clients particularly some of your new clients so often students come in and i know we see this in the academy yeah students come in and they just want to be told what to do yes but they don't want to take the time to actually experience the thing yep and okay, so for for an another example, placement. If we could af- uh, we could approach an idea like vocal placement, sure, from a task specific perspective or a functional perspective, sure. Because if I'm just giving students placement directives, mm-hmm. feel this note now from your here to here, yeah. 
that is very task specific. Yes. And probably only fits the style you're trying to get them to do in that moment. In that moment, on that. Whereas if you, when you close a vowel Mm -hmm. around an octave below the first vocal tract resonance, Mm -hmm. you will experience a passivity of register change that you didn't previously experience. Yeah. Example, vocal fam. Oh, what? I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, oh, it is very early it when we record early. this. But the idea being that if you tr- are just trying to go, oh, then that's, yeah. And so you can just ex- now. I keep thinking someone's knocking. How I related this to my client this week. Sure. Was we were talking about vowel closings. Okay. And um, doing some exercises, a simple exercise, kind of a, kind of something I uh, basically took from Ken's book, actually. Oh, cool. Basically the idea of going, um, e- then like taking the, taking the more closed Close. timbre sure. to experience the next most open vowel. Sure. Okay. So we were doing that, and um, the client said to me, I know you also teach musical theater and, and other styles. Would you also do this with them? And I said, actually, yes. Yeah. What a good question. Beca- because. Not because I want them to make a that classical sound. singing sound. Sure. But I do want them to understand how to experience the vowel closure. Yes, yes. Because that's something they can definitely use. Well, I think with all of our students, again, if we were training our students functionally, we want them to experience a very broad range Mm -hmm. of noises. Mm -hmm. We don't want them to be locked into because you and I have both observed times Mm -hmm. when students get locked in to making a specific sound. Sound. And like think that's all they can do. And it's like, fun fact, we can make a lot of different sounds. And if you want to make this one sound, that's great. But don't you want options? And I'm so glad you said options. Oh, wow. I'm just full of buzzwords today. Vocal fam, we do not plan (laughs) these episodes. But, I'm just good at remembering buzzwords. <laughs> but a couple years ago, I had made a Facebook post where I said, your Passaggio has more options than anywhere else mm-hmm. in your entire range. Mm-hmm. Because it does. Yes. The human voice can make more configurations between C4 and C5 Mm -hmm. than basically anywhere else in the pitch range. Yeah. You start ascending above C5 and you become more limited in your options. Absolutely. You start ascending above C6 and And you you are more limited in your options. As I say, it's very much just, how do I make a sound up here? Well. Now, you have also plenty of options as you go from C4 below oh, that. Oh, sure, sure. But I don't think there are as many actual performable options. Yeah. There are so many actual performable stage-ready noises that can happen between roughly C4 and C5. I'm, yeah. I, I, you know, I'll give you whatever you... A little bit on each side. Different voices, different... Yeah. But... 
but there are so many options because of the acoustic events that are happening. You know, you're basically encompassing at least the first two vocal tract resonances sure. of most vowels sure. in that octave. Sure. So you've got a lot of interactions that are happening in terms of pushes of the first resonance affecting different parts of the spectrum, yeah. influencing different timbre noises. Now, if we're talking about ah, it's obviously higher than that. Sure. Okay, we, kn we know. We, we get it, we get it. We get it. We're we there with you. We we understand, but but we if we're training functionally, mm -hmm. we are preparing the voice to be ready mm -hmm. to sing different styles, to be ready to move. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, just having your voice function does not. If you've only studied let's say, uh, uh, American musical theater. Okay. That doesn't prepare you stylistically to sing jazz. No. That is, that require that there are a different set of musical, stylistic, yes. performance practice. Uh, I'm not saying this is the end of things you would have to study to be able to move in and out of styles. Sure, sure. I'm just talking about the way a voice functions. Mm -hmm. And I wish more of our classical voice teaching was rooted in this because I think in the 19th century it was. <laughs> and I'm not saying, I am not here to say, what's well, because bel canto is the best way. I don't think people even know what that means. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah, I, okay. Like I genuinely don't even think people know what those words mean. Yeah. Like a lot of times the, the, that sentence gets thrown around, nor am I here to be like, well, if you want to sing anything, you should sing opera. Please. <laughs> um, what I'm saying is if you are approaching your singing technique mm -hmm. from a functional standpoint, you will be able to move in and out of styles so much more easily. Yes. Yeah. Let's t talk about it. This from a res respiration standpoint. Okay. Okay. We've, you know, definitely heard folks talk about appoggio. Okay. Right. Yeah. Kind of the classical western italianate it's our kind of goal kind of thing Nothing, with yeah. uh classical singing anyway sure but we've also you and i have both heard matt edwards talk about that at shenandoah they don't literally let their musical theater singers breathe that way because there are so many of them are so muscular yeah that as soon as you introduce that concept Definitely. of a low inhalation, uh -huh. a low torso expansion, they lock their entire system. Sure. So even respiration mm -hmm. is a thing, though, that we could approach from a task-specific way mm -hmm. or from a functional way. Mm -hmm. We could, for example, it's one of the reasons that I don't talk a lot in lessons about compression of the abdomen sure. holding the abdomen out sure even maintaining expansion of the rib cage necessarily yeah in lieu of that we do 
exercises. Mm-hmm. L- I don't think I ever finished my thought on placement. <laughs> we do exercises like the panting that we do. Yeah. <laughs> Which engages the respiration system in a dynamic way. Sure. And thereby allows you again to have better dynamics mm-hmm. of setting up the system. Because sure. so much of respiration is how have we set up the system and then how do we need to use the system yeah. in and out. Because if you're singing, my funny Valentine, yeah. you don't need to set up the system of respiration the same way you do for other things. That's what I was going to say. Like, you, you're not always going to take the same breath. Exactly. And this may be seeming like I'm trying to get us to a task-specific idea. And maybe I am. But, again, if we're setting the voice, voice up through function, here's the other thing I, I would say about this. If we're setting the voice up through function, mm-hmm. you don't need to think about supporting more to get through your passaggio. No. Because you now understand through airflow dynamics and through vocal tract resonance changes mm-hmm. how to navigate into trouble areas of the voice. Yeah. In multiple styles. In multiple styles. In multiple ways. What what I was what I was saying about placement is Mm-hmm. It's one thing if I tell someone to feel a note somewhere. Yeah. It's another thing if they are feeling that as a result of what they did functionally. Yes. I was actually thinking, I, I'd forgotten about the Bozeman exercise. I think I'm going to steal that um, from, from y'all. Because it's always interesting when like when I get new students that are just new to lessons, period. And that first time you're like, what did, what did you experience? How did you feel? That Like, what did you feel a change? Did you whatever? And they go, I, I don't know. I didn't feel anything. I'm like, well, why don't we do it again? And try to pay a little more. And like, sometimes they'll, you know, kind of get to it pretty quickly. But a lot of times you also get, I don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. feel like they really want you to tell them. And I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna keep asking you this. So you better start. <laughs> well, and that's why I think like, if you're using placement as you need to now feel this in your forehead. Sure. I that that would n- maybe not be a, a goal for me. Um, no, I like wh- I have used at times. I've been like, why don't you try feeling it more? Like if yeah, if they're telling me, oh, I'm feeling it here, and I'm like, what if? Well, and vocal fam, let me be honest and transparent. I'm not even suggesting that there are never moments where I do task specific ideas. Sure. For par exemple. Sarah and my life is consumed by French right now. Yep. Um, yep. Actually, Sarah's is consumed by the fact that she's about to give birth. Well, yeah, and there's French, that. But and, and French. French. Um, it's a little bit of both, which is quite a combo. But uh, here is a task-specific idea I do teach mm-hmm. at times. If I have a tenor basic, uh, who's studying Western classical singing... And they need to sing a high note. Okay. Particularly on anything resembling ah, ah, eh, eh, or e. Okay. Okay. I actually will give them the directive either of physically feeling like the tongue has 
gone up and back in the mouth. I know everybody just like cringed at what I just said. <laughs> Look at any tenor, basically professional, classical, singing a high C. Sure. Their tongue goes up and back. Or I give them the like placement directive of feeling that like an arrow sure. is going up and out of the back of their head. Yeah. Because so often, which is kind of akin to like even Ken's idea of the fact that like if you're singing E, if you experience the E coming under your tongue, it's, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm not suggesting, Vocal Fam, that task-specific ideas are bad. Well, it's like... They have their place. I, I definitely, because this is just something, you know, always trying to improve, evolve, whatever as a teacher. Like, I definitely, like, at times will catch myself when working with a student doing something more task oriented. And so sometimes I then try to make myself work backwards. Like if I do something very task specific, being like, okay, now let's try, you know, we could apply it like this or this or trying to then make it more general. Cause like, yeah, sometimes I'd like, I don't know. I do that. We're learning. Well, exa exactly. And, and I mean, please, I, I think that there was a time in my life when I was a young teacher mm -hmm where the majority of the teaching that I was doing was task specific. Mm -hmm. Partially because um, it, was, it was at a phase in my career where I was really only probably teaching kind of one style of singing predominantly. Sure. Well, and if you were a young singer, that's, and if that's, you said yourself that that's how you had kind of been taught up until then, like, seems perfectly natural that you would. Right. And so, you know, it's it's one of the things that we try to really encourage in the pedagogy classes here is we are really trying to teach multiplistic teachers who are functional teachers. Yeah. Yeah. And we do our best. <laughs> in whatever time we, we have. I was say, it's not like it's, you've got semesters and semesters of... We could make the most of time. Anyway, uh, there, there's your Stephen Schwartz moment for the uh, delightful for the day. I feel like that's starting to consume my life. Schwartz and Schwartz and Sondheim. <laughs> Maybe doing a Schwartz and Sondheim show, and a Sondheim show. I'm not even really involved with that, and somehow it's consuming my life. Later <laughs> this academic year. Anyway, uh, but these are the ideas that I just look. This is uh, like I think functional training has become using these ideas of how are we playing with vocal tract resonances and experiencing vowel closings and openings and which is a concept that any singer can understand once they've sure. been doing it a little while and then and then uh, but but it goes back to this idea i can't just tell you what to do yeah you actually have to experience it and the changes that the exercises elicit, which also vocal fam fits with motor learning theory. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you have to kind of let them figure it out on their own a little bit. You which, lead them, you which guide is, them. Which is another reason why it goes back to like the idea of we should be talking less in lessons. Yeah. Let the singer experience the thing. Sure, sure. Give them the thing then get them set up for a good thing and let them keep doing it. Sure. And so often people would like rather, and I understand this as a human, right? Mm -hmm. Our culture today says, give it to me and give it to me now. Yep. 
instant gratification. If you know, you know what will fix this, fix it. Right. And unfortunately, the human singing voice is an organic thing that you have to experience. And this also then leads us to functional training kind of only works if your students practice. Oof. Oof. Nah, that's, that's a real... We really did hit the nail right there. Uh, well, listen, and if they're really wanting to understand their voice versus, I just want to sing this song. Well, and so this is another thing that goes back to an old teaching tenet that I've believed for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Your students have to want to change. Yep. If they don't... They won't. You're just going to bang your head against a wall. They won't. It's just like if you want your student to sing Caro Mio Ben... And they just have absolutely no desire in doing that. Then they're not. You're just going to bat. You're both going to just bang your heads against a wall. That's kind of my thing. Like, I, I try to, you know, pick rep, assign rep that, like, my students like, enjoy, whatever. Because I know they are much more likely to practice if they actually want to sing what we're working on. Right. Not always the case, but, you know, it helps. It's a good first step. <laughs> right. So, anyway... Good times. Good thoughts. All we're saying is, vocal fam, let your students experience lovely flow phonation. Let them experience some nice, different, different, varied vowel timbres. Let them go. Mm. Not with that phlegm that just came up in my mouth. Sorry, that was a little bit of, I'm a little dehydrated. Let oh, them experience oh. varied noises. Yep. Let them, but they have to then play. And then it also gets us into the idea that I think the greatest thing with functional training is you have to encourage them in their practice. Just make sounds. For their practice to be play. To just try. Yeah. Let's, it's funny. You're doing the slides. I was, I was literally thinking, do you know some, how often I have trouble getting people to do slides? It is amazing how resistant some voices are to sliding. To sliding. And I'm like, it's just, it's just, just slide. Like, uh, ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or they'll go, uh, ah, and I'm like, what, what are you doing? My favorite is the ones who can go like, ah, 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 they can't go they, down. They can't, they yeah. Cannot it's go so down. interesting. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's just. Just like you're a little kid, like I'll show them video. I've literally I've pulled up videos of the like whistle you have when you're a kid. I'm like, just you're sliding your voice around. Like yeah. I'm not looking for anything specific. We're just we're just making a sound right here. Yeah. We're not even really singing. And when that happens, I usually try to approach it from my puffy cheeks first. Oh, smart. And that's then we'll go do. to ooh. Okay, that's smart. I hadn't thought about it. Yeah. I, I'm usually just in that, I'm just kind of like <sighs> puffy cheeks. Puffy cheeks. Ooh, falsetto. That's a good idea. Ooh, full tone. Okay. Falsetto to full tone. Okay. And then. Okay. That's, and then an actual noise. That's okay. Thank you. Thank you. Low for so I'll yeah. S O V T. So basically taking resonance out of the equation. Yeah. To get airflow going over yeah. that. Then tiny tiny ooh. Yeah. Falsetto yeah. so that we're coming from thin folds. To it's then sure, sure. thin folds to thick folds. Sure. Then. Thick folds, but on low first vocal tract resonance vowels of E and OO, okay. then I might let them do it on HA. Okay. Okay. Wow. There's a little pedagogic process go. for you, vocal fam. Hey, 
I very much appreciate it because that's just one of those things that like, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I don't even know. Well, and with a lot of your AMAB voices, um, ah ends up feeling so powerful at first acoustically because their mouth is so open. I'm sure it can be startling. That that they're so resistant to actually making noises like E and O mm-hmm. that they probably like that like like that that they're um they're resistant even to a noise like yeah um Uh, that makes sense uh that or they go and that's the only one they have yep um varied noises vocal fam varied varied noises this is my thing this is my thing yeah. I feel like I Michael like now. It. This is my That's thing. Just, that is very Michael. <laughs> Michael was a host on this show the first season. He's come back at times throughout yes, the years. Yes, yeah, I was actually just in our Facebook memories today. Uh, today was the day I posted the teaser that to watch my Facebook page. Ah, that, uh, I was to say, it wasn't bacon time yet. That uh, there might be an announcement coming soon about a thing that you Wild. and Michael and I were doing uh I just I always laugh when the memory of us giving out bacon to people who would sign who would follow us on Facebook. Vocal fam and Michael this, just this podcast committing to screaming to the MC quad. I don't know what this podcast is at this point, but uh, once upon a time, once upon a time, it was about Sarah and Michael and I sitting here and just talking about how we didn't like Michael eating pistachios. No, Michael, I didn't. Just, he just would eat. Always. He used to bring Loudly. us. He used to bring us bacon. each a single serving of bacon. And you know what? I could put up with the eating for that because then I was eating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bacon at bacon. that. Yeah, it's hard to be mad when you're sitting there eating bacon. Yeah. Anyway, Vogel fam, well, uh, we're off back to our lives, and yep. uh, we hope that your school year has started well. Yeah. I know that yes. now in the Northeast, you have in fact started. I was talking to a colleague in Washington State this week. Okay. As I've been trying to get Snats chapters um, up up, updated and, and stuff. And they asked for an extension on their deadline that I had given them for October 1st um, to update their... Do they not, like, to do start? Their <laughs> September 22nd. Oh, my gosh. When do they finish? <laughs> I, have no, I don't even know. I don't even know how you're done before January. Wild. I mean, my kids. My no kids started public school break. on July twenty second. Yeah, so that's because that's absurd. <laughs> um, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, but it's an interesting thing to consider that there now no, there is no academic year in this country anymore. There's really increasingly if, not. If those schools, like in the Northeast or Washington State, are finishing their academic year at the end of June. Mm-hmm. And our schools down here, K to twelve, like, very European, are starting their academic years a month later in, in July. July. It's one of the things that maybe organizationally we need to reconsider in a lot of facets of things. Is that they're True. no longer there? No longer is an academic year anymore in this country. We're, we're certainly moving away from it because regionally there's no unifying academic year. No, it's it's definitely something that more and more we're moving away from. I always assumed that the schools, because you know the idea of the kind of year-round school thing, had been tossed around for years. But I just particularly assumed in Mississippi, Tennessee, where I'm from, that that just wouldn't happen because of a football <laughs> season. 
I was like, they're not going to do that. And then lo and behold. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> yeah, weird times, Uncle Fam. It was weird um, times. If you are not keeping up with Ahsoka, I so will good. not spoil your life right now. Yeah, I am keeping up with episode you guys. Four, I'm watching it. Episode four was blew my freaking mind. Jamie and I really, we particularly enjoyed three and four just because we thought back on it. One and two definitely was a was a Rebels. It was a Rebels exposition like, dump. Like nostalgia trip yep. slash exposition dump. Yep. And like while we enjoyed it fine, we were like, you know, this is definitely more geared towards people who did watch Rebels. And then three and four got more into the meat of this show. Definitely still some Rebel stuff, but I, like also references to like Andor and things that we were starting to be like, oh, I know. I felt like Captain America. I, I get that. So like I get my that reference. my um my wife has not watched a single episode of Rebels, and she's been saying, and my but my son did watch some of Rebels Rebels mm-hmm. with me and has seen some of the important episodes, and he was saying, yeah, I just don't think I'm as emotionally attached to this as you are, because because well, I about lost my ever loving mind at the end of episode four, and we. Like I punched up there. There were listen, vocal fam. You may not be a Star Wars nerd, but a million Star Wars nerds on Tuesday night punched the air. Oh, so I totally got like even not having watched Rebels and stuff. Like I totally got that reference. But Jamie and I were saying that about so many of the references to Ezra, and like they're definitely expecting you to have these big emotional feelings that like Sabine well, has Sabine about and, yeah, Ezra, yeah. and I'm just like, I don't know Ezra. I'm sure if I if I knew this character, maybe I would be more on her side his journey arc in rebels is it's the I'm show sure it's is ezra's yeah emotional but i'm journey like arc. i can tell i'm supposed to have these feelings but yeah. i i don't yeah well not uh, that it's like caused me to dislike can, the show can, can you comment without giving away spoilers sure um uh, uh theorize on the end oh like where i think we're going is is it is it dark side or is it light side because both sides of the force exist within the world between yeah. worlds. Yeah, no, that's um, a good question. That's something we had talked about a decent bit. Part of me wants to just suspect dark side right now because that just feels more like well, plot. The, the musical motif, certainly. Yeah, well, yeah, that's. I'm like, why would you put that there if not? And also, I feel like it gives you a lot more to work with plot-wise. Yeah, Filoni's been really clear that what happens at the end of episode four the the whole um, world building that they did is very much a place where neither time nor nothing is linear. Sure. Like where everything, everything is wibbly wobbly. Everything is wibbly wobbly. Love it. Everything exists at once. Speaking of wibbly wobbly, I do think David Tennant's character might be my favorite character. Who young? Yeah. Is it because it's David Tennant? Who knows? Probably. But also, I just like that character because he just makes me chuckle a lot. He's he's one of the best. I actually don't know if this is an unpopular. It seems like it's not an unheard of opinion. I'm, I'm I think it might be again because I haven't watched Rebels. I cannot bring myself to like Sabine. Everything she does, and you know what made it even worse? I like, I was like, you know she's what? She's a complicated character. She seemed like I thought she was a teenager. I, I was like, you know what? She's like fifteen, and then I looked it up. She's thirty. I think if you, if you freaking thirty, I think you have to like. That's that's a thing where the backstory in Rebels. 
I figured it might help. Of her emotional backstory and her complicated history as a Mandalorian or not. Sure. Is. I figured, because I did, I did some reading on her to if see I if. May, if she is Mandalorian. She is Mandalorian. We know yeah. she's Mandalorian. Yeah. If she becomes force sensitive. I am curious to see if that'll happen. Is she the Mandalorian? I don't know. Because it was prophesied that one would return to the throne of Mandalore who could wield the Darksaber. Sure. But the Darksaber was created for the one individual who actually could wield the Force and and the Darksaber. I'm very curious to see. Like, I just, so far, I've just been like, ugh. And that is definitely not Bo-Katan. No. 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 Because she can wield the Darksaber. Well, I'm hope- definitely not force sensitive. I'm hoping Sabine will grow on me because right now, pretty much every decision she has made and half of the things that come out of her mouth, I just I get it. Want to punch her a little bit? But also, a million nerds punched the air when they actually said the words "heir to the empire." <laughs> sure. <laughs> like when they actually when he actually put that in the script, it's a million nerds punched the air. I like the. Uh, I don't know if he's even necessary. Well, I guess he's Sith. The Balin guy, like him. Is he Sith? I don't think he's Sith, actually. Like, I don't I was think looking, he's Sith. I was doing a little bit. I was trying to do a little bit. his training was solely was as a Jedi. Jedi. And I was trying to do a little bit of background reading, just having not read Rebels, but also trying not to do to have any spoilers. Um, and he said, essentially, like he's classified as a mercenary. Correct. And it definitely seems like his little follower, Acolyte, is a little more Sith-esque. Yes. But he himself, like, I don't super get super Sith vibes from him. And nothing he has said has been... We also have to... This is not the first time that there's been an episode title. Yeah. That it is ambiguous as to to which characters we're talking about. Episode 1, Master and Apprentice. Could go. It could have been multiple people in that yeah. episode. Episode four, Fallen Jedi. Yeah. Which, which Ahsoka literally fell off a cliff. I was gonna say we have like four people in that episode. That or three people in that episode. Four, oh, I four, think. four. You're right. Four people. So like which, which? And, I I like the witch lady too. And like that leads us to like the idea of. Are we gonna keep doing that? And is sure. there going to be this weird, like, heir to it, the Empire episode? Well, and is it, like, at the very end when all of a sudden all the titles make sense? Or something? I don't know. Anyway. It's, no, it's, I'm really I'm really enjoying it. Like, I think it's well done. One of the better shows I've watched on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Um, it's, it's currently my favorite Star Wars product, but very, I watched Rebels. So. Very much enjoying it. Really like Witch Lady. Want to know more about her and the witches. Yes. Didn't realize... Jamie knew we had witches in the Star yes, Wars universe because he, sure. while he hadn't watched Rebels, did read all of the like books that are now legends. What'd you have for breakfast? Um, Greek yogurt, and I made like gingerbread, but not gingerbread cookies, but like gingerbread the bread. Nice. Yeah, it's good. All right, Vogel fam, uh, we'll hopefully be back at you next week with some more uh, gobbledy yeah. gobbledygook, pedagogic gobbledygook. Woo! Love you guys. Peace. Yeah. Bye.